Welcome to the Secret Lives of Chiropractors, where we get personal with chiropractic leaders, mentors, and influential entrepreneurs. And when I say personal, I mean really personal. So personal that the things that they share in here, they haven't shared anywhere else. Today, I had one of my mentors, Dr. Sean Dill, and so it was really fun to interview him. He is an entrepreneur, chiropractor, and he's making big waves inside and outside of chiropractic. We talked about his childhood, his family dynamic, and and uh, his divorce, and some of the struggles that he's had in the past, and he kind of described himself as a loner and talked about how that may have held him back in the past and how he overcame that. And uh, he's kind of been hated on a little bit in the past. And so we also touched on that. I think you're going to find that really interesting. Listen all the way to the end, though, because we had some fun when I asked him what kind of car he drives. That was really fun. And one of the things that came up with Sean that was really important was um, we talked about circle of influence and how your identity is tied up to all of that. Now, this is one of the most important things that I talk about and I teach in Elevate Club. And I mentioned this on the show too. The conversation is so wildly different when you hang out with your peers, people that are doing similar things as you are doing or they're they're just like you versus when you are around a group of people um, in which you want to sort of be want to have their lives or they're kind of at your next level and the conversations are different it feels different it's probably uncomfortable so questions to ask yourself is are your friends having the same conversations you and your friends are you having the same conversations living the same lives are you are they questioning your stagnation are they playing devil's advocate for you are they a factor for your growth Is your circle of influence growth-based? Are they living the life of their dreams or are they just comfortable moving along life inside of the matrix? So this is one of the reasons I created Elevate Club because I personally wanted to surround myself with people that had big visions and they were constantly working and talking about and doing big things. And if this speaks to you, this is, like I said, this is one of many reasons I have uh, created Elevate Club. But if this part of it speaks to you, then join Elevate Club. I'm sure the link is in here somewhere, but it's spelled out E-L-I-V-A-T-E dot me. And uh, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. It's one of those episodes where you've got to take notes. So hopefully you get to do that. And as you listen in, be sure to subscribe, share, comment, like, all of those things. All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors. And uh, I am super excited today, especially excited today, because I have one of my mentors on here today. So um, Dr. Sean Dill, him and I met when I was uh, I was one of his students at Life West. He taught philosophy there. We're talking 17 years ago or so. I can't believe it's been that long. I probably just aged myself, but I do remember when I was in his class, he did think I was a good student. So that's, I think I got an A or a good grade in his class. And then later it turns out as um, we've all gone through our entrepreneurial journey, 
He's gone uh, from having a private practice, having multiple private practices outside of the U.S., inside of the U.S., a franchise, a whole bunch of other things uh, that that he's done as an entrepreneur. Now he's also got um, Black Diamond Club. Not now. It's been going on for some time. 600 plus members. I'm a member of, if you're not a member of, go join. Um, and a whole bunch of other things. Now, it didn't start out like this. Uh, Sean and Lacey, his wife, um, lived in a tiny apartment. And if you're part of BDC, you've probably heard that story before. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper today on um, all things Sean Dill. So I'm excited to have you today. Thank you for giving me your time. Thank you. Super honored to be here. And it's been likewise, it's been awesome watching your growth and you growing your influence, your community, um, helping so many people. That's that's really amazing to see all of the people that are blessed by not just this podcast, but um, all of your different groups, your coaching, all of the amazing things that you're doing out there. So it's been tremendous to watch. Well, thank you. And you're helping me on a weekly basis uh, expand that influence. So I'm appreciative of that. So um, let's see, let's um, dive a little bit deeper. Now, I know a lot of people um, know your story of how it came about, which we might end up talking about again, but I want to actually go back a little bit farther in time. Like, what was your childhood like? Do you have brothers and sisters? Like, who, were, who was Sean as like a five, six-year-old? Were you totally naughty? Were you like a nerd? What were the dynamics of your family that helped you like be who you are today, this master influencer, this entrepreneur, all the, all the great things that you're doing. But was there something in that dynamic that made, made you who you are today? Well, so my father um, was in the military. He was a Marine, hardcore, still to this day, you know, the Marine Corps him is his ringtone on his phone, um, hardcore military um, guy. And he was married um, prior to my mother, and he had a um, uh, a daughter and a son. So I have two half sisters, and then his wife ended up passing away. And being a hardcore Marine, he wanted to take um, another tour in Vietnam. So he went back into Vietnam. Um, I don't know, maybe it's to some degree to escape um, some pain or the trauma of losing his wife. Um, his mother then uh, really played a vital role in my half brother and half sister's lives. Um, and being in the military, he met my mother in Okinawa, Japan. So my mom is Japanese, but she didn't live there. She was from Chicago and she was in Okinawa teaching English. And so they uh -huh. met there. Um, I was actually born though in Kansas city. And then they moved back to Okinawa, Japan, where I lived for the sort of formative years of my life. Um, and so I, you know, I, everybody always asks me, do you speak Japanese? I do not. My father speaks far more Japanese than I do. I do speak Spanish. I don't know if we'll end up getting into that. Um, we are going to actually, depending on when this airs, but from recording time um, in just four days, we're going on an outreach program that we lead uh, to Mexico. Um, so I go to a lot of Spanish speaking countries, Mexico, El Salvador, um, and Philippines. Tagalog is kind of like Spanish. So I don't speak Tagalog, but literally I can kind of 
somewhat figure out because they're very similar. Um, so I grew up in Okinawa, Japan. I moved to um, New Bern, North Carolina when I was six years old. Uh, if you watch TV, you see all of these uh, commercials. If you were on Camp Lejeune, um, you can sue the government. Well, I, I was on Camp Lejeune. My dad was on Camp Lejeune. Um, thankfully, I don't have any of those ailments to be suing the government for. Um, but um, I, I lived there. And then eventually my parents moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I live in Indiana now. And so that's kind of where some of those Indiana roots um, are split time between Indiana and Florida. But yeah, as a kid, I, I you know, I was very studious. Um, I didn't really get in, in a lot of trouble. I was raised as an only child um, on a military base in um, in Japan. One little fun fact, I went to school at Kadena Air Force Base. Um, and a lot of you may know Carolyn Griffin. Um, she also went to school at, at Kadena Air Force Base, and we are the same age. So we were probably in the same class um, oh at Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa, Japan. Um, but as such, as an only child in, in Japan, you know, I had um, a, a vibrant imagination. I had to learn how to entertain myself, um, play games with myself, action figures, etc., and another fun thing that everybody asked me, you, you would probably not ask me this, it's not, not necessarily in the vein of, of today's podcast, but I'm a giant um, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And mm -hmm. people always ask me why. And that was because you know I, it was, I was born in 1971. So in the 70s, the Steelers were amazing. I grew up in Okinawa, Japan. There's only one game on. Um, and so basically every Sunday, we watched the Steelers play someone else. So as a little kid, I just thought that was like the team, like it was the Steelers playing someone. And so ever since I've been super young, I've been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan um, that has that has stuck with me. So that's sort of my super young um, upbringing story. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, I never knew any of that. And uh, it's funny about the thing that you like, that's the sport. That's like the team that you watched and you thought that was the only and even as an adult, how old are you now? You're like 50, 50, something, aren't you? 50. Yeah. 50, you're like, yeah, let's not go above 50. <laughs> <laughs> you just, I thought it was your birthday because, well, I guess that was a while ago because you did your uh, birthday packet thing. But even as a 50 year old, you're like, that is my team. That's to this day, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Living in the Bay Area a little bit, I like I like picked up teams along the way. I love I like the Golden State Warriors mm -hmm. from being in the Bay Area when they were on their run, um, and then baseball. I, I you know it was still Pittsburgh because the the Pirates were kind of good in the seventies too. Um, but I began you know I don't have an an allegiance to any baseball team, but the mm -hmm. Steelers stuck for me. That's that's your team, yeah. So um, are there any funny stories about Sean, like stuff that your family is like, oh, yeah, Sean used to or Sean did this or this one time, Sean? Um, not, not, gosh, not that I know of. I have funny stories about other people because I don't think I find the stories about me that funny. <laughs> I, I think I, I had a rabbit. Um, I think my parents think this is funny as I had I had a rabbit huh. um, named Easter that was huh. given to me at my birthday. And um, my parents, I think the first time that they ever um, left me alone at the house, I don't know exactly how old I was, probably too young to be left alone. Yeah. Um, and again, with no brothers and sisters, and they went somewhere. Um, and I started crying. I went out and I, I um, got the neighbors and I said, uh, I said, my parents left me. And so they were, it was a little bit of a panic, um, you know, not modern day. That was back in the seventies. Yeah. And so they were like, what do you mean your parents left you? And so I had that, I think I got lost at Disneyland one time. 
Um, I don't think I, that was as traumatic. I think I just met some people and I was just talking to them, but I think my parents were traumatized from that. Um, yeah, I don't know any real hysterical stories about you have to ask, you have to ask everybody else. They, everybody's got funny stories about me. Everyone, one fun thing, one uh, thing we love to play is, um, people I do business with is how they met me. Uh-huh. Um, those are always funny stories because I was probably, um, somewhat standoffish or a jerk when they met me. Um, but then now, now we have a great relationship. Now they like you. Yeah, that that I could see that that's definitely an impression that uh, I didn't have. I was like, I don't know. I don't know why you guys don't like him. He seems fine to me. <laughs> I have my I was- share. Of, I have my share of people that don't like me. I collect them. Yeah, well, I mean, like you, you have, uh, you have, you know, unique ideas, and I think sometimes you create polarity, which I think can be actually a great thing. And I think naturally, as a leader, there you're gonna have a percentage where of people where they don't like you. But Absolutely. I can see that. I just remember, like, even like telling people, I'm coaching with Sean. They're like, "Oh, Sean Dill," and I'm like, "I don't know why you don't like him." Because <laughs> <laughs> like, of his mouth. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and they usually don't have like a tangible, like he did this or there's, there's, I don't know. So it's interesting, huh? So I think I say things that make people uncomfortable. And I mean, like you said, I think that's where growth happens too, by the way. Um, You know, you have to get uncomfortable and then that's when you can experience growth and you need someone in your life that that will push you to that one thing you know they always have this thing about you know and i've said it before you are you're the product of the five people that you hang around um i remember um being with dom falset and him talking about if the five people you hang around all talk like you all think like you all act like you and that's very easy to do right because we surround ourselves with people that share the same beliefs that do the same things but if you if all of your your five people around you are all the same as you, you have the wrong five people. And, you know, I think it's really important to get people that don't think like you. You know, it's it, it and, and especially in this world, like politics is one we just want to have because people are like, well, I don't want to talk about politics with my family. I'm like, but that's what makes you grow. You need to hear what other people are thinking and believing and how they view the world, um, because one, your worldview might be challenged and you may experience growth. Two, it just helps you to have more empathy and compassion and understand. And if for no other reason, if you're like, I don't even care about these people, I don't want to have empathy. Well, it helps you to market, helps you to be able to sell, helps you to be able to reach more people. So if you believe in something, you know, in this case, chiropractic, um, you need to understand how people view the world so you can speak into that. Um, And so, I mean, when I'm challenging people, I'm just trying to challenge the way they view the world, the way they think. And what I'm hoping is the end result um, is growth. Now, as a byproduct or side effect, they might not like me, but as long as they grow, that's what's important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And, and so, and that, that makes a lot of sense too. And, um, not only that, the conversations are wildly different when you are with a different higher level of circle of influence, right? With your circle of influence, the conversation, not only is it the same, but it's all about the things that you have already achieved anyways. But when you are at a different circle of influence, then it's like these people have already achieved what you want to achieve. So it's in past tense when they are talking about it versus your, right. group, you know? 
Absolutely. I think that that's really important. Now, um, I know that uh, a lot of people know about you and Lacey's story on how you guys, like, I think this was back when you were, I don't know about the timeline of it, but like when I met you at Life West, like you guys got together, you lived in this tiny little apartment. And then from there, obviously you created this massive empire. I'm curious along the way, um, what's been the darkest like loneliest, most uh, struggling time um, for you or for you guys as a couple? Man, you know, I think that I, I, the the answer is supposed to be like when we when we lose everything. Um, I I think that one of the one of the things that you'll find about successful people, people that I talk to, um, one of my mentors, Dave Meltzer, lost a hundred million dollars, like hundred million dollars of net worth taken mm-hmm. from him. Um, I can't even fathom what that's like, but here's what I know is like, I've been absolutely broke multiple times in my life. I've had times when um, I didn't know how I was going to eat. I didn't know how I was going to buy food to you know, exist. I mean, that's pretty rock bottom. Like I don't have enough money to buy rice, right? Like I've been in that situation. And I think a lot of people would describe that if they had that in their lives as like a, a, the darkest moment. But I think that the, the darkest moments for me are the, the challenges that come with for everybody, but for me, particularly with being in a relationship um, with someone else, you, there are life lessons and you care so much about someone. Um, you know, so I, I have experienced divorce. I've been through a divorce. Um, that's very difficult because nobody ever gets married thinking like, well, this will be good for a certain amount of time. And then, then I'm not going to do this anymore. Like that's never anybody's plan. Um, although the majority of people do end up in that situation, it is no one's plan when they're getting married to do that. Um, so for me, like that's those, I mean, and even I would just say challenges in Lacey and I's relationships. I don't love, I love conflict like in business because conflicts clarify, but I don't love conflict conflict with relationships. I have two um, adult daughters. daughters. I don't love conflict between me and them. I don't like that. Um, I don't like conflict between me and Lacey. And so, and also um, having gone through divorce, I'd say the divorce is probably, um, I would consider one of the biggest failures in my life um, because you just never plan for that. Other things look, you know, and, and depending on where you are in the scale, I remember telling somebody like, you know, sort of my tolerance for loss financially would be around a hundred thousand dollars. Everybody needs to kind of understand, like if I lost a hundred thousand, I would be like, Oh man, not so good. But I wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be like a gut shot. I guess if I lost like a half a million, I would be like, Oh, that really sucks. That would probably weigh on me heavier. Um, but I, I would say compared to that going through a divorce far far heavier, far more difficult. Um, it feels like such a loss um, when when you have to admit to yourself that you know this thing that you thought was going to be eternal, um, you have just completely mismanaged it to a point where it's just no longer even fixable. Um, and I mean, that's just, it was interesting too, like that rarely happens like with kids. Like, you don't, some people don't talk to their parents. I get it. But like, how do we take this relationship where you love somebody so much and just absolutely wreck it to a point where grown adults can't seem to reconcile this problem or fix it? Um, That's pretty low. That's pretty dark. That's pretty disastrous. Yeah. So what did you learn in that process as you went through it? 
Well, I, you know, and there's everybody, it, it, it's funny because there's so all these cliche answers. Um, and, and this will sound like a total jerk answer, um, in, in the beginning part of it. Um, everybody loves like therapy and, and I think that therapy is very useful. Um, but I think that you, it's just like chiropractic, right? The answers have to come from within. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're willing to learn lessons, what you learn is that, um, People love differently that um, the way we love is learned and, um, and it's just like challenging your worldview. You begin to understand, you know, we have the five love languages, which I think sort of scratches the surface to how we communicate that. But I think on a deeper level, um, your parents taught you this concept of love. Um, what does that mean to you? How do you express it? There's a lot of people that come from families where, you know, you just got a pat on the back and was like, no, no, good job. Other people, they're very physical and, you know, hugs and, and, and kisses and, and, you know, expressions of love and gratitude that way. Um, and so if you don't understand how other people, it goes back to that same thing of surrounding yourself with other people that don't think like you. If you don't understand how other people comprehend, express, receive, and understand the concept of love, then it's very difficult for you to share that common feeling. So you might say, well, I'm loving, I'm, I, I'm trying to be very loving uh, to Nona um, by showing her a giving of my time, which could be in, you know, in, the, in, the, in the five love languages. But even inside of that, if I don't understand how you receive and express, so receive and express, then we get mismatched and then we start to have conflicts. And I'm even talking like on a platonic level, then it starts to create irritation, conflict. Um, and if I'm not mature enough to understand, like, wait a minute. Um, I just think that you're not comprehending this transaction. It's like literally like I'm buying your coaching services and I'm sending you spices in the mail. And you're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, what? What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm sending you the finest spices in the world. And you're like, yeah, but I charge dollars. We're on mismatch and you're going to get irritated, of course. And as soon as you're irritated at me, I'm going to get irritated at you. And now we're just set off on this, this, this absolutely destructive and negative path that it takes a really mature person to recognize and a mature person that can get you yourself out of that. Um, you know, for people that are divorced, I hope that this is something that you come to a realization about later on. Um, and, and, and if you have, if you're not divorced, um, I hope that you can realize this before you have these conflicts in your relationships, because it will help you to heal, um, these conflicts that arise. And honestly, I think part of it too is understanding. And I think in the world, like, even when you say, um, like, you know, Hey, I'm coaching with Sean and people have a reaction. Most of the time people's reactions are, are radically mismatched to the stimulus, like radically mismatched. It is, it is like a hundred X more in a relationship, right? Your reaction becomes radically mismatched to the stimulus and that just pours gasoline on the fire. And so I think if we could learn to be more even keel in managing, I'm not saying don't have emotions because emotions are real, but managing our reaction to our emotions, um, that will help us to navigate the world. And ultimately why this is so important to me is because it helps us to reach more people. Um, you know, this whole lighting my hair on fire, I think that we've been duped into the loudest voice wins. Um, I've done a lot of study on that. And I got to tell you, it's not always the loudest voice that wins. Um, quiet people like Mother Teresa, like, um, um, like Gandhi, um, people don't have to scream from the mountaintops. And so I think that sometimes when we get programmed that it's the loudest voice that wins, we get that very testosterone driven alpha 
alpha driven idea that we're going to just bulldog people into our way of thinking. Um, and in reality, I think that what we learn is we could love people. We can use gratitude to get people to understand new concepts and new ideas. And that goes for all the way from the micro for your strongest relationships, the people that you love and care about the most, all the way to the macro. Anybody that wants to make a radical impact in the world, um, it's not screaming at people. It's actually loving people for where they are on their journey and serving as an example so that you can guide them, lead them to what's possible in their lives. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think while you started out kind of talking about the intimate relationships, right, that what you are describing right now actually plays a role in every relationship you have, like you said, in your platonic relationships, but also in business relationships. Now, here's the thing. Most people, um, you know, they don't have the awareness even because you're like, yes, the way that you feel loved is uh, related, directly correlated with how you were loved or how you were taught to be loved. Most parents, at least like my parents' generation, I'm assuming your parents' generation, they didn't have enough awareness or consciousness around it to like sit you down and be and talk about these concepts and things. So whatever you picked up, you picked up either you watched your parents or how they kind of, like you said, like they pat you on the back or whatever. So I'm curious, like how does one go about finding what, not just what my, not the, aside from the love language, but like kind of inner, um, contemplating on like what happened with me or how am I expressing love or how does, how do I figure out what how Sean expresses love? And then more specifically in business, right? Cause you, you get the example of the spices or whatever, but in interactions, like, so for chiropractors or for entrepreneurs in general, are there some ways to pick those up on in regular business interactions? Yeah. And for me, first of all, I want to say that this is not natural for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point in, in, you know, my business development where, you know, at, at the, and I'm, I'm very not shy. I'm very transparent about what I am doing. A lot of people don't understand it, but it's because they're only judging from the outside. Um, I felt like in the chiropractic space, I was on almost all of the major chiropractic platforms. I was talking to a lot of chiropractors. And so that was great. Chiropractors and chiropractic. I was like something. And I made a conscious decision. There was a moment where I was like, I'm going to not do this. I'm going to actually, if I want to make a big impact, I'm going to try and penetrate into the non-chiropractic spaces with a chiropractic message. Um, but I had to understand and how would we communicate that? So this is not a no vaccine, all drugs are bad. Um, you must hate your kids message. This is a message based off of, and you know, in my, my um, influence, young as a chiropractic student, Sid Williams, giving, loving and serving out of your own abundance, not, and listen, like you opened the program with, I, I taught philosophy one. And I I can normal complete cycle with the best of them, but not that, not safety pin cycle, not BJ Palmer. And so a lot of people got really confused and think that like, I basically like lost my mind and sold out. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out how I could create inroads to leverage other people's platforms to get them to talk about chiropractic um, and, and not just say the word chiropractic, but recognize the benefits of chiropractic. So exactly what you said, I had to learn what made people tick Mm -hmm. and what makes people tick fundamentally at the end of the day is themselves. Mm 
right? Mm -hmm. So everybody is looking for survival, is looking for um, their own safety, their own comfort, their own advancement. And if we could figure out, I say this all the time, solve people's problems and they will pay you later. So if we could figure out what they were actually trying to solve for and we could help them get there. And that, listen, this is so hard to hear, but that may not be a chiropractic adjustment. People rarely are waking up saying, well, I just need an adjustment today. It does happen, but it's not it's not common. And so if I could figure out what you what you need, what you are looking to do, and this has an awful lot to do with your upbringing. I always say this is kind of like a commodity. Everybody is going through the world measuring themselves against the rest of the world based off of certain metrics. And the metrics are very different. Some people want to make a lot of money. Chiropractors like to talk about how many people did you see? Like, I don't know why that's relevant, but that's very, that's a metric that they use. Other people want to be known. Um, chiropractors are known for writing books that nobody reads. Like, hey, did you write a book? Yeah. How many copies did you sell? Don't worry about it. But I have this book and they bring the book and they give the book away for free. Mm-hmm. Chiropractors are known for that because that produces notoriety. Other people measure themselves in time. Some people want you to know how much time they spent on things. Now, so how do we do this? We can observe them, but we can really listen to them because people will tell you like, Nona, um, listen, I, I only have so much time or, you know, I want to, I want to tell you about about how long, how I, yesterday I spent six hours reviewing your stuff, right? They're, they're, everything they keep coming back to that. Other people come back to money. Other people come back to who they know or who knows them. Once we can figure that out, then we can begin to feed that. And it's just like in a, in a relationship with a significant other. If we feed that, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel acknowledged. It makes them feel loved. And then I think the gentle art is once I've fed it, then I can begin to ask for back in return. But it's easier for them to give in their commodity. So if I'm measuring everything in time, I know that you that I, you know that I value time. You ask me for my time. Could you help me by? And then you fill in the time. If I'm notoriety, you ask me, could you help me by introducing me? If I'm money, could you help me by contributing or supporting or investing? Mm-hmm. And that's how we can make those connections. We can grow them deeper. And then that's where in the can you help me buy? That's when you can begin to play your cards for your agenda. And I think that for me, man, I've been on probably a three to five year run where I've just been stacking relationship capital. Very popular thing to talk about now, but I've just been banking what I call goodwill coins. Um, I have the availability, as you well know, I have access to tons of platforms. Um, I've been on people's podcasts and shows and done collaborations with them, and they were not about chiropractic yet. Right. And so everybody's waiting. I need to get a big enough stage and people that are big enough that have big enough influence because I don't think it's going to be me. Right. I I talk about that a lot. Um, You know, one of my big platforms is the Rosa Parks story. And Rosa Parks was a simple seamstress who tipped the scales on the civil rights movement. Now, there were a lot of bigger names. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all kinds of other people playing massive roles, the loudest voices there. But it took a simple seamstress to kind of tip that scale and really ignite that to the point where to this day and I've spoken worldwide around the world. People know who Rosa Parks is, was, and her contribution to society. So a lot of, you know, the guests that you are going to have on the podcast, there are people that are known and it makes sense, right? Because people want to see these known people. But I want to tell you this, 
It's the listeners of the podcast. It's somebody who's listening that tips the scale. You can't be waiting for the name people to do it because they're just the loudest voices. You have a platform. It may not be you because you have the platform. It's somebody that is impacted by you who's like, you know what? Um, Nona's right. I'm going to take a stand. And that stand literally shifts the way that the world views, in this case, healthcare or any anything, racial equality. Like what a big topic. And we're, we're so bogged down with waiting for who's going to do it. Um, and I think that what we have to begin to realize is it's the, these very simple acts. And one more thing that in the Rosa Parks story, when Rosa got on the bus, the bus driver knew her name. So she sat in the front and the bus driver called her by name, said, Rosa, what are you doing? Uh, which means that she had been on that very same bus tons of times before. To me, the reason why I do podcast interviews and I love sharing with other people's audiences, and I love um, doing talks, I love speaking because somewhere in that room, there might be somebody that is about to have their Rosa Parks moment. Here's what, here's what this means is that Rosa had gotten on that bus literally hundreds, if not thousands of times before and went to the back. Yeah. And it took a moment where something shifted in her and she decided not today. Today, everything changes. I'm sitting in the front. And so for all of your listeners, there might be things where you have been settling. You've been, you know, biting your tongue. Um, you didn't want to make somebody mad. Well, I'm here to tell you, I make a lot of people mad and my life is great because the people who are mad at me, they're not here. They're not around me. I don't let them in my circles. I don't let them around me. They can be mad. But like I said before, I'm willing to take that stand if it will provoke change. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Rosa Parks because she took a big stand and she made a big change. But what I'm really saying is, is somebody who's listening, you might have that opportunity in your life. And it just comes down to, are you going to go to the back of the bus or are you actually going to be prepared to say, listen, today's my day and I know I'm not. And then you list all of the guests of, of, of your podcast. I'm not any of those people, but I, I can make a change. I think that's you know one of the biggest reasons for, for all of us. I think you, you, you as well, why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that reminds me of the saying uh, where they say like, you're one decision away, you're one person away, you are one movement away, just, just around the corner, you know, you're just, just one action away from. Yeah. Ed Milet just released a, a phenomenal book on the concept, um, you know, inspired by his father, um, an alcoholic. And he asked his father, you know, are you going to drink today? Are you ever going to drink again? He said, are you ever going to drink again? And his father said, I don't know but I'm not going to drink today. Mm. Right. And the power of that, um, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time, you're one, you're one move away. Um, but so many times I like, can imagine like how easy that would be to screw it up by just drinking today. Right. right. Like let's just do, let's just make sure that today I'm not going to compromise. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, but today I'm not going to compromise today. I'm going to meet people. That makes me super uncomfortable. Um, I talk to people I don't know all the time. Now, I, if you knew me 10 years ago, you'd be like, what? I sit in my office at life West. I never, I didn't want to talk to anybody mm -hmm. now. Like you, if you could steal my phone, you could call some pretty cool people on my, on my contacts list. And I've developed those relationships because it was an alignment with that vision. It was an alignment with what I wanted to accomplish in my life for chiropractic. Yeah. Yeah. And so Sean, you have lived this, uh, like incredible life. You've had some struggles. You mentioned you've been poor quite a few times and have come out of it. And, um, you have a lot of wisdom as everybody can hear and see to offer. And I know personally to be that 
the, to, for that to be the truth. I am curious if there is one thing, I don't want to say like one thing you regret, but like knowing all this knowledge that you've packed up, all this wisdom that you have, everything that you know now, is there something you would do different um, looking back at your life or something you would, you would do more of or less of? Well, I think that, you know, I mentioned that earlier, you know, the biggest regret is going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody plans for that. I, I don't, I, I have to say too, you know, I, I've been super blessed to meet some really interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like Jordan Belfort says, you know, I've been poor and I've been rich and rich is way better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I would, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that for me, not embracing this idea of of relationships very early on, um, it, it, being in, I would say the same thing. Like I've been a loner, uh, you know, the rebel, one guy person going out there and, you know, I'm going to change the world. I don't care what everybody says. And I've been um, highly connected with people and being highly connected is way better. Um, having support, having, you know, real genuine relationships that you can call on, that you can get guidance and mentorship from. Um, that's probably one of my biggest lessons. I wish that I was like that. I mean, if I even think to being a, a young adult, I wish I was like that in high school. I wish I was like that in college and college. I just did my own thing. Like I, and when I went, I went to Indiana university and I knew I wanted to be a chiropractor. So I didn't care about any, like it just went there, took my classes and, and then I got out. Like I, I didn't like a lot of people have really strong relationships from, um, you know, undergrad. I, I don't because I was just there for the next thing. And then I went to Logan, uh, college of chiropractic now Logan university. And I was just there to graduate. Like I didn't, I, 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 there's people I meet that are like, I was in your class. And I was like, I don't like whatever. I didn't have 160 people in my class. So it wasn't like, like life West, but still of the 160, like I missed those moments because I, I felt like I, I was so laser focused on what I was doing, but that's a myth. That's not true. Um, I, I, there is time to create and develop relationships. And I wish that I had taken more time then, um, you know, and I'm, I'm making up for it now. Um, you know, I, I, I have so much fun and I I'm connected to people all over, literally all over the world. Just this morning, I, I did a call. Um, I started my day at 8 AM, um, talking to a gentleman in Thailand, who's doing some incredible things, um, in healthcare, like some mind blowing things. Um, and, and, you know, I, I sometimes hang up from a call like that and I'm like, why, why me? Why am I talking to this guy? Um, this is interesting stuff, but like, he's talking way over my head with what he's doing and the, the things that he's able to, to help with, with his knowledge base. Um, that, that just makes me so happy and, and makes me feel so blessed. And I'm grateful for those opportunities. I'm grateful more today for people than I am for money. Um, and I have plenty of both, but I'm, I'm more grateful for the people. Yeah. And I have to tell you that I definitely relate to that, the being the loner at the high school, middle school, all the way through college, same sort of thing. It's like, I don't really know any of my classmates or anything. I, I just a handful. Um, and I, I think that having that be part of your identity, like I'm the center, it's just the way I, I just don't have a lot of friends like saying a lot of those kinds of things. So not only have you created really incredible relationships and connections right now, as I know you, as I know you have with your uh, social network, but also you have encouraged me and I know a lot of other people to um, tap into that, right? Like, we have a 10 year uh, difference or so. And so I, um, you know, so if I can, if I can grasp that as well as you do now, and you're teaching that to me, then, you know, then I'm skipping ahead by, by quite a few years. Quantum leap, as you call it. 
quantum leaping. <laughs> and I and I love that too because I mean and, and thank you for acknowledging that. Um, really thank you for acknowledging that in the work that you and I do together because I know that we've talked about that. Um, and and I love to to the extent that I can, um, you know, take my clients and just throw them again into uncomfortable situations. You and I did a, a launch party, and there yeah. were some pretty dang impressive names um, at that party. And and I'm like, no, no, go talk to them. These people are here, it's, and, and 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 it's hard. Shoved me like in their face, and and yes. it was, yeah. But it's hard. And I and I hope that everyone listening notes it's I mean, for for someone like Nona or for myself, um, it's not easy. And maybe because you see Nona on stage or you see Nona on podcasts or on Instagram, you're like, oh, she's so outgoing. And everybody just comes up to her and talks to her. All of us, every single one of us has to work at that. And and so in a lot of respects, too, I would tell people I've I've received a ton of training on speaking um, because I wanted to be a, a great speaker. Currently, I'm working with Joel Weldon, someone that um, at some point I'd love to introduce you to as well. Um, phenomenal uh, speaker trainer. He's been around forever. He trained one of my mentors, Jay Abraham. He trained Jay for Jay's first talk at Tony Robbins. So that was years and years and years ago, um, Joel was in that game. Um, and, and just meeting these people, um, helps you to develop that basically persona. And I, and you definitely know what I'm talking about because there's stage Nona, there's video podcast Nona, and then there's Nona socially, and it's totally different. And so everybody needs to understand like, Hey, if you have a big message and you really want to make an impact in the world, we've got to overcome, we got to overcome these stories. You're not an introvert. Look, I mean, look at you're 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 talking to thousands of people right now. That's not an introvert. <laughs> I know. It's just like it's just what you've been patterning yourself and saying to yourself, like becoming aware of it and then stop saying it and then saying something different. It's funny you say that. I was in Italy a couple of weeks ago and um I was like, I need to do a video. I was with a friend of mine. I go, I need to do a video to put on social media. It'd be nice to have the Coliseum in the back. And so he's holding the camera and I'm doing the video. And I did the video, didn't think twice about it. Later, he was like, you just transformed. Like, you're not who you were on camera uh, just a minute ago. And, and, and I want to make it really clear that what Sean and I are talking about, it's not like I like like put on a hat and like prepare to act or anything like that. It just, it just who you are on this podcast. Once I'm done, Sophia, my assistant who's sitting in the other room, I just become somebody else with her and I become somebody else at home as a mom. So it just is the different um, layers of your personality. You know, and that's interesting because you, so let's, let's ruffle some feathers for your audience. That means then what you just said is that there is actually no such thing as your true authentic self. Everybody always talks about this, your true authentic self. So Todd Herman's work with the alter ego effect is that we are all a series of created characters, right? So there's Mm -hmm. the Nona Instagram, then there's the podcast Nona, then there's the on the stage Nona, there's the mom Nona, there's the caring, nurturing private in a relationship. There's businesswoman, Nona, all of these different things, and they are all different. Um, And so if we zero it down to your true authentic self, it's just blank, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's blank. There's, it's, it's, it's emptiness. And then what we do is we begin to build this. Listen, as young kids, when, when you wrap up the podcast, you're going to go and see your, your boys, they live in a world where they can be anything they want to be. 
So they can dress up in costumes. They can fly in their minds. They can be Tony Robbins and then they can be um, uh, in the army, like all in all in an hour. Right. Because that's what their imaginations allow them to do. So when you look at that and you're like, well, which one is the true authentic son? Um, No, it's blank. And they they begin to become who they want to, which is I think is amazing, because what that means is that we have an opportunity to think about consciously who we want to be. So if you're like an introvert, well, this become an extrovert. Oh, I don't like to do videos or then just become someone that likes to do those become somebody that's, that's impactful, that speaks all of those things. Um, And that, I mean, that that's a great topic for you to, to mastermind and think about. Yeah, totally. And actually I, I talk about one of the sessions I talk about inside of Elevate Club is just this, how your identity drives your behavior. And so, and just like what you said is you have access to all identities that you want to have access. It's not even that you become that. It's not like you put on a hat and you make a face or whatever, or you act it out. It's not that you have access to all of them. So whether it's the millionaire, whether it's the loving partner, whether it's you know, whatever you want to access, you have access to that. If you start from the emptiness, right? Like dropping all the different identities, like you said. Yeah, this is so good. I feel like just on this topic, we could do a whole episode. So let me um, pivot a little bit. We're going to wrap up in a second, but I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Um, One, do you have any childhood nicknames? Tiger. My dad used to call me Tiger. What was it after? Was it after? I don't know. That's just what my dad used to call me. He had, he he was um, born and raised in North Carolina, where everybody had a different name. My dad's my dad's name is Henry Dill, but they called him Toby, Um, and he called me Tiger. He just always called me Tiger. So uh, when I was young, it didn't it didn't really stick. And I guess maybe nowadays there's Tiger Woods. So I'm far from that. So (laughs) he used to call me Tiger. That's that's really cute. I will tell you this. I love and and it kind of relates to what you um, were talking about. I am a big believer. I'm a fan of Todd Herman and the alter ego effect. And I love um, and I'm a big fan of um, um, Sean Combs and um, how he would create these alter egos with these names. And so I do that all the time. And if somebody calls me a name, usually they're calling me that, um, you know, in a negative way. Um, I will use that. And um, Lauren Klum, um, she told me that my name was Shank Dilly. That's the one I use the most. I have it on a lot of things. My name is Sean Henry Dill for Sean Henry is Hank, Shank, and then Dilly. Um, So that's my like sort of um, P. Diddy alter ego. Yes. I love that. And I love that that's, that's what you use. Like that's what people called you. And then this is, this is, it's, it's all over your stuff too. I've seen it. it. You and I hopped on a, a zoom call with uh, the guys. I was going to go into business <laughs> for like a multi-million dollar deal. And it's, it's Shang Dilly. Dilly. <laughs> your zoom, on your uh, zoom call name. That was funny. Um, Sean, what was your first job? The very first job you got? Uh, my first job was at B. Dalton Bookstore. Um, as soon as I could possibly work with my great friend, a lot of you know her, Dawn Rosemond. Um, she um, runs, uh, her, her Instagram is you Rain. She's an extremely powerful speaker and now a lawyer. Um, she got me the job at B. Dalton. I remember it was so great because um, a lot of people don't know this. After a book sits on the shelf for a while, you rip off, they rip off the um, cover of the paperback and then and they throw it away. 
So we would be able to get all these books. I was, I was in like just starting high school, I think. And we would get all these books that we wanted to read for free because they would throw them away. They also throw away magazines. Once the, the new one comes out, they just throw them in the trash in the back of the bookstore. Wow. That's like my worst nightmare. Like I can't throw away, I throw away stuff, food, whatever, old clothing, computers, but like books, I can't never, yeah, not books. <laughs> um, what, what kind of car do you drive? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not a car guy. Like I get to ask this a lot. I know nothing about um, cars, literally. I um, should be, I, sorry to interrupt. I should be asking what kind of car Lacey drives. Exactly, exactly. So um, Lacey now has three Porsches. Um, she has, like you, a, a Boxster. She has a Cayenne. And then um, her most recent purchase, same thing through Relationship Capital. We came um, into relationship with the owner of Naples Porsche, which was a you know a great relationship to have. And he um, got an allocation and allowed Lacey to build a Panamera 4S, which is um, on its way, should be here um, just in a couple of months. For me, and again, I'll, I'll take all the heat, all the comments. I would love to drive a Bentley but only because I think it looks cool. Like, that's it. Like, I don't know. People are like, those are crappy cars. I, I, I can't speak to that. I just think it looks cool. That's that's the only thing. It looks cool. And I like Ferraris, but that that Boxster, I mean, I'm 50 years old. I'm not that old, but I mean, man, that Boxster is pretty dang low. Like, it's hard to get in and out of that car. So I don't know if I could do a Ferrari. I know. And then try getting in and out of that two-seater boxer in high heels. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I know what you mean with, like, uh, wanting a car not because, like, of the technology or whatever of it because Bentley is cool. Like, one of the cars, my next car, what I'm going to buy is, um, or in addition to, I'm going to upgrade my SUV, my mom car, what I call but I've got the Porsche and then I want to buy a Range Rover, but this Range Rover is not just a typical Range Rover. It's going to be black on black on black. It's going to be like souped up, like just high wheels, bumper, you know, all kinds of things. And so the reason I like that car, and, and I know my dad's like, that's a horrible car. Like the, the cost on oil change is blah, 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 and whatever. I'm like, no, but I like it because then I can drive up to Whole Foods and it will look like I'm a, uh, like a hip hop wife, like a wife of a star or something. And then I got out of the car and, you know, grab my kids and, you know, <laughs> come out of my Lululemons. So I like that idea of, you know, of that kind of a car. Anyways, fun stuff. And then last question is, um, who has been the biggest influence in your life inside or outside of chiropractic? Gosh, I would say, um, I mean, and I, and it sucks because this, I, I don't want this program to be like all super cliche, but I would say, honestly, um, Lacey is the biggest influence um, mm-hmm. because I was coming out of that darkest moment and then met someone that was able to really teach me how to reinvent myself. Um, I love this version of me. I don't think that I really loved the previous version. I mean, I know that you talk a lot about that, like, you know, the new version um, and and all of that was really taught to me by uh, the values that Lacey brought into my life, um, still continues to teach me tons about um, the way she views the world. And that's what I, that's what I love about her is because we're not the same person. Um, we're very different. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people always ask about our relationship because there was a moment where I kind of felt like, and when you were talking about like the challenges in the dark 
dark times where we were, a lot of people come together in, in, in a relationship and they're like, and then we became one. And I was like, but that's not what we're supposed to do because now we had two people and we became one, which means that we're half as productive, half as effective. Two people should come together and become four. Like, how do we, how do we get a four X return because we are in, in relationship with each other? I should feel like I'm able to do double and, and accomplish double and experience double because I'm in relationship with someone. Um, and Lacey really is a person that al allowed that to happen for me. Um, and so that's why I'm, you know, ex extremely grateful for that. Yeah, I, I love that. You guys are definitely hashtag power couple. So something to look forward to have in the future. Really cool. And so, um, Sean, lastly, what's exciting for Sean Dill and a Black Diamond Club and where can people find you? We'll put if there are any links you want to share, they're all going to be in our show notes. Um, but yeah, tell us where can they connect with you? Yeah. And what's exciting in your life? Well, I'm just excited to con continue to develop um, and promote a message. So, um, you know, the greatest thing that anybody can can do for me um, at this point, you and I have talked about this, is is just share our content, um, tell other people about us. For me, it's not even about trying to get people to join something or give us money. We've been, you know, tremendously blessed in that realm. Um, I just really am focused right now on the reach more people part of reach more people, make a big, bigger impact and create the lifestyle. It's kind of like we did it backwards. Like we have the lifestyle and a lot of people talk about the impact that we've made. And now I just am looking to, to, you know, exponentially grow the reach. Um, people could reach me the easiest way. Um, I would love for your listeners to go to www.gethopetoday.com. Get hope today. I have packaged for you and your listeners, um, an unprecedented amount of, of free stuff. And let me tell you, it's not like crappy free stuff. Not like your typical, like go there and get this free thing. These are everything that I've put on Get Hope Today are things that people have genuinely paid me big money for in the past. Um, and you know, you don't see me talking about Get Hope Today because people would be like, wait a minute, but I, I bought that. But I want to offer that as a gift for you and all of your listeners, www.gethopetoday.com tons of content. I'll keep you busy for, for days consuming content that I hope that you find valuable. There is absolutely nothing to buy there. Just go there and get hope today and you'll have access to all kinds of stuff that I hope will um, benefit and make your life better. And I've probably paid for those things. You may have paid for some of those <laughs> things too. Yes. <laughs> So I highly recommend it if it's anything like what I'm getting from Sean, which it is, and, and then some, highly recommend you go check out Get Hope Today. And we'll put the link in the show notes in case you're driving or watching this, you know, while you're with the kids or whatever, um, you can click on it. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Sean, for giving me your time. I know you're super busy. And um, yeah, thank you, listeners and anybody watching this episode. Uh, make sure that you subscribe, you comment, you leave us reviews, and um, we'll see you or you'll be listening to the next episode very, very soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www 
elevate.me and elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.